You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Church, you can be seated. Uh, glad, so glad you've joined us, uh, especially if you're a guest with us. My name's Clint, and we are so thankful to have you with us. I want to say first a big thank you to all the people who have filled in and taught on Sunday mornings the past few weeks. Uh, I want you to know what I could see that maybe uh, you didn't get to see during the week, and that is how much uh, effort and work, but also care and love and concern uh, people in this church have shown towards God's word. And so I'm filled with humility. I'm filled with gratitude. Thank you to everyone uh, who took the time to do that. Uh, and I have to tell you all this story too. So with other people coming and preaching, uh, my daughter Hannah was in my office the other day and she sat at my desk and she said, I'm going to plan a sermon. And I said, well, Hannah, what, what are you going to preach on? And y'all with more conviction than I've ever said anything up here in my life, she said, I'm going to preach about candy. And I said, well, that'd be a well-received sermon, I think. Maybe we'll, we'll let you come preach about candy one day. Uh, we're heading uh, down the home stretch in our study of Colossians this week. We're hitting the last chapter. We'll be in the beginning of chapter 4. We'll start in verse 2. And I want to recap very quickly the ground we've covered. And it's actually fairly simple to recap because Paul is making a bold claim, but a very simple claim. Jesus is everything. That's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. Jesus is everything. You may have seen a movie from a few years ago called The Theory of Everything. Uh, that's how the poster is. It's not upside down. Uh, but it's the life story of a scientist named Stephen Hawking. And, you know, a lot of the movie is like the love story and everything. But the name of the movie comes from a lot of his work trying to find a theory of everything. It's this search for this unified framework that would... Help us understand one theory that explains all of the physical world and how it operates. See, for a long time, science has operated on a lot of, a lot of different theories. And so you've probably heard of uh, the theory of general relativity or quantum mechanics or, or string theory. And each one of these theories explains like a specific slice of the physical world and how it operates. But so far, there's nothing that explains everything. And so what science does they kind of use these theories and most of these theories don't work well together and so they kind of use one theory to explain this part and one theory to explain that part and another theory to explain this part over here and what was going on in Colossae as Paul is writing was kind of this very subtle but also very common form of rejection of Jesus and it worked a lot like these all these theories hey yeah yeah Jesus is good try a little Jesus over here but then try a little of this theory over here, a little of this theory over there. You know, just kind of whatever works for you. And Colossians is Paul presenting his theory of everything. Only it's not a theory, it's a person. And he's saying Jesus is everything. He is the center of the universe. And so the path to making sense of your world, to growth, to maturity, to joy, to meaning, whatever it is you're looking for, is to put Jesus at the center of everything. Like the sun is at the center of the solar system. And at the end of chapter 3, we saw last week, he, he kind of started to turn a corner and he begins to apply his theory. So up to then, he had been explaining his theory. Now he is applying this theory to real life. 
So when a person who has Jesus as the center of everything, when that person operates and lives in this world, what does it look like? How, how does someone with Jesus at the center live and operate in this world that doesn't have Jesus living as the center of everything? I mean, is it like oil and water? You know, they're kind of next to each other, but they don't mix. Is it like all the ingredients of a cake? They mix all together and just blend right together. Or is it like two armies just constantly always at war with one another? Here's what Paul is going to say. For, for the Christian, interacting in the world, it looks like three things. And this is our big idea today. It looks like persistent prayer, wise walking, and salty speech. Persistent prayer, wise walking, and salty speech. Let's begin reading. We'll start in verse 2. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Persistent prayer. That's what Paul calls us to. You know, I find it interesting that the first thing he gives us about living in this world is to stay in touch with the spiritual world. You know, he's almost like a, a teenager running out the door and the mom yells, remember to take your cell phone with you. That mom wants to know, that parent wants to know that even as that kid is heading out, he can communicate. He can phone home. He tells us the way we pray. He says steadfastly. This is the, the word that means persistent. It can even mean stubborn. A lot of translations, some of your translations may say, be devoted to. I like that translation. Be devoted to prayer. Now, you all know what it means to be devoted to something. What is that thing that you make sure you will not miss out on? I tell you what, I'm devoted to Johnny's Pizza. Now, Johnny's Pizza, I'm from North Louisiana, a town called Monroe, Louisiana. And Johnny's Pizza is a little regional pizza chain in North Louisiana. And I'm telling you, hundreds of, I went to hundreds of birthday parties at Johnny's Pizza. Every end of the soccer season team party was at Johnny's Pizza. Johnny's Pizza tastes like nostalgia to me. It tastes like my childhood. And so I'm not going to go back home to Monroe, Louisiana. When I do, I am not going to miss the opportunity to get some Johnny's Pizza. Now, think about your life. Think about this weekend. You know, any given weekend, all of us, we got like 10 things going on at the same time. Some of them are needs, some of them are wants, but a few, very few, maybe just one or two, you're devoted to. You will not miss. Prayer should be one of those things. That's what Paul's saying. We need to make sure we do not miss out on prayer. And when we pray, how do we pray? He gives us two modifiers. The first one is watchful. Now, I want you to do something with me. I want you to pretend there's an assassin on the loose, and he's out to get you. Now, just hypothetically, off the top of my head, let's say uh, the robots and computers have taken over, and they've created a cyborg assassin. Uh, sometime in the future, they send him back in the past uh, to kill one of the lead generals in the upcoming war against humanity, okay? And we have found that list, and you are one of the future important generals in the war uh, against the cyborgs. And so yours is the next name on the cyborg assassins list. Oh, no. Don't worry. We've got our best man on it. We've gotten the best the Navy SEALs has to offer, and we have set him up as a guard over your home. And he is going to watch all night, guard you over your home to stop the cyborg assassin. Okay, you're with me here? What level of attention would you want that guard to have as he's watching over your home? Would you want him to be on, on his phone, 
or her phone. You don't know. Did you want to be distracted going over the grocery list? Or maybe just kind of bored going through the motions? Of course not. No. The level of focus you would want that guard to have, that's the level of attention God wants us to have in our prayers. Our full attention, not just thoughtless habit, not distracted, watchful in our prayers. The second modifier he gives us is with thanksgiving. Now, this one's fascinating to me because usually our default is to think about prayer. The purpose and the goal of prayer we think of is to have an impact on God. So I've got something I want to happen, and I pray, and I'm hoping that prayer will influence God and move him to do what I want him to do. That's how I often think about prayer. But Paul reminds us here that some of the greatest impact of prayer is in our own hearts. Because think about it. When, when I pray, the moment I say thank you, if I can say thank you, my heart has been changed and aligned with him. I'm agreeing with God about who he is and who I am. Now, I think it's important to remember that this thankfulness, this gratitude, it can and it almost always does coexist with lots of other things. Y'all, thankfulness and prayer can coexist with confusion, with hurt, with anger, with desperation, with uncertainty. You can be praying, God, I'm so desperate. God, I don't understand. God, I don't know. I feel hopeless. And even in the midst of all that, at some point in our prayer, you can always at some point say thank you. And when we do, we're acknowledging, you know, you know what? For me to even be able to pray is a generous gift that I'm not worthy of. I'm recognizing that I have a relationship with him only because of his grace, his kindness, his sacrifice. So thanksgiving in prayer will transform your heart. Sometimes it will help you see past some circumstances that you can't see past right now. It will remind your heart that he is good, that we have always been showered by his grace, that even if you don't understand, you can trust him because you can say thank you. So Paul is calling us to persistent prayer, all days, all seasons, all times. And reading this verse, you know, anytime I think about prayer, I think about one guy. I think about a guy named George Mueller. There he is. He's like 90 years old, that picture. Uh, he's got a beard, so you know he's wise. I remember reading a book, I think back in college, George Mueller on prayer. He's, uh, he's famous because he lived in 19th century England. So this is the 1800s, and, and kind of the Industrial Revolution was in full force in his life. And it brought with it all kinds of social challenges. Uh, it created these overcrowded, polluted cities, and abject poverty. And in London, there were tons of orphans that just lived on the streets, countless orphans. And God put it on George Mueller's heart to do something to care for these orphans. Now, George Mueller, he, he didn't have any money. Uh, he was not influential. But he says his whole ministry was built and sustained on prayer. And this guy has got some unbelievable stories about prayer. He tells one, one morning early on, uh, he'd started his first orphanage and woke up and there's no food. No food in the orphanage. And so what he did was he set the table anyway, just with empty plates. He woke the kids up, and they came, and he sat around this empty table, 
with no food for breakfast, and he instructed all of them to pray together for their daily bread. And as they were praying, comes a knock at the door. And when you know it, it's the baker. He told him God had woken him up early and told him to fix some extra bread for the kids. He brings it in, and then comes another knock at the door. When you know it's the local milkman, and his milk cart had broken down right outside the orphanage. And he knew, if I go, when I go to get the parts I need to fix, all this milk's going to get stolen. So here, just take it. It's all yours. And they sat with their daily bread. That is not a rare story in George Mueller's life. Over his 93 years, he housed over 10,000 orphans. And throughout his ministry, he kept a prayer journal of specific requests and specific to answers to prayer. He recorded over 50,000 specific answers to prayer. That's a life that shows the power of persistent prayer. But you know what? I think different times, different levels, all of us sometimes struggle with prayer, don't we? I think there's kind of two categories of struggle with prayer, at least that I've experienced. Sometimes, you know, we struggle with prayer. That can be me sometimes. Like, I struggle to do it. I tend to be a doer first, and the prayer is second. It's kind of an afterthought. Maybe if I get desperate. For those of us like that, Paul, George Mueller, these lives, they remind us we are missing out. Prayer is how you keep Jesus as your everything. It is how you keep a thankful heart. Prayer is how we live in this world. We must be devoted to it. But you know, I think sometimes we're not necessarily struggling with prayer. We're struggling in prayer. Like, we're praying, but best we can muster up is this kind of weak, hopeless prayer. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you've lost hope. In prayer, And I know you hear the stories like this about George Mueller, and it's, think, it's easy to think, well, why, why hasn't that happened to me? For those of you here this morning, you're still praying without an answer. What Paul is t- telling us this morning is keep praying. You're doing exactly what God has asked you to do. Do not give up. The story isn't over yet. But I know there's some also that you got an answer. It just wasn't the answer you wanted. You know that? The good thing didn't happen, the bad thing happened instead. I want us to look at what Paul prays for next, because it gives us an important perspective on prayer. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul asked for prayer. He says, I want all of you to be persistent in prayers for me. And he reminds us he's in prison. Now, if you're in prison, what is the one thing you would ask everyone to pray for? Get me out of here. I don't want to be in prison anymore. Paul doesn't pray for that. Isn't that interesting? Paul is interested in Christ more than his own comfort, even in his prayers. Paul understands his current suffering as an opportunity to advance the name of Christ. So he asked them to pray, yes, but not for an end to his suffering, not for his own freedom even, not for his own comfort, but for the doors to open to proclaim Christ. See, men and women, when Christ is at the center of everything, then it changes what prayer is. Prayer is not a way to get a comfortable life out of God. Prayer is a way to align your life with him and glorify him in your life. 
And we know that God answered Paul's prayer. We know it because we can go read the last two verses of Acts. So the book of Acts ends, it closes with, guess where Paul is? He's in prison. It's his home away from home now. He's there all the time. Acts 28, verse 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So did you catch that? First of all, not only is Paul in prison, he's got to pay for it. He pays for his own prison for two years. So I assume in those two years, maybe Paul prayed to get out of prison. I'm sure lots of other people prayed for Paul to be released from prison. God didn't answer that prayer. But Luke records Paul doing exactly what he asked the Colossians to pray for. The picture at the end of Acts is that God has swung the doors wide open for Paul to proclaim Christ without hindrance, he says. God answered that prayer. You know, and George Mueller, his life mirrored Paul's in this way also. George, he died penniless. He, he never had wealth. He never had much comfort. There were always struggles. There were always obstacles. You know, we read stories about these amazing miracles, and we think, I want to do that. But the truth is, y'all, most of us would not have wanted his life. It was a hard life. But when he died, it almost turned into a national day of mourning in England. Factories and businesses closed all over the country. Thousands of people came out to mourn. His hometown newspaper, the Bristol Times, wrote this on the day of his funeral. He was raised up for the purpose of showing that the age of miracles is not past. So he may not have had an easy life, but God swung the doors wide open for him to make Christ known to a watching world. So we pray persistently, and not just so that only good things happen and no bad things ever happen. We pray persistently that God would be glorified. And no matter what is going on, you can always pray that God will open the door for you to declare the mystery of Christ to a watching world. You can always pray that. So how, how do we live in this world with Jesus as everything? First, persistent prayer. The second, a wise walk. Let's look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. So Paul calls us to a wise walk. And understand in Scripture, your, your walk is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for your life, your living, the way you live your daily life. And he says the way you live your daily life should be wise. Well, what, what's wisdom? Wisdom is simply living the, your life the way God designed it to be lived. It's living your life according to design specifications. And what's fascinating to me here is that Paul says he wants us to have a wise walk. He wants us to live wisely, but not for our benefit. No, no, no. He says, for the benefit of the people you probably like the least, the outsiders, the people who are absolutely opposite of you. He specifies it towards outsiders. He doesn't say, hey, ignore the haters. You do you. He says, live your daily life with those outsiders in mind. Your daily life lived well is missional. Do you know that? You don't have to go overseas to go on a mission trip. Your daily life is missional. It doesn't just benefit you. It benefits the people you consider outsiders. He calls this making the best use 
of the time. This phrase literally means buying up time. It, it's investment language. So you could picture uh, a savvy investor, a wise investor who sees an opportunity in the market and he, he times it just right. He, he takes advantage of that opportunity and maximizes his profits. Paul is saying a wise walk towards outsider, outsiders, it's a wise investment. It maximizes your profits. I think what Paul is really telling us here to do is to live on purpose in our daily life, not just when we go on some trip or not just on Sunday morning. You know, this summer we took our kids to a water park, and of course, like every water park, they have a lazy river. And I wasn't in this lazy river very long before I realized there's, there's really only two types of people in a lazy river. First of all, there's tube people. That's me. You just lay on the tube, and you're just going wherever the current takes you. If that's in the backside of the person in front of you or ram it against the side or wherever it is, that's, that's where you're going. Then there's a second group of people, usually kids, that they stay on their feet. And they fight the current, you know, and they, they go where they want to go. They go on purpose places. And maybe they're chasing friends. Maybe they're dodging rafts. Maybe they're hitting my wife in the head with a football. But they're doing it on purpose. Paul is saying here, don't be inner two people. Don't just float along the lazy river, river of life. Live your life on purpose. Walk wisely. See your whole life as a witness to who God is. Not just the parts that you would label spiritual. The whole walk, all of your daily living is spiritual. It's all missional. Well, next Paul gives us one way to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And frankly, especially today, I think it's the most important way. Let's look at verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul calls us to salty speech. Now, I want you to think about, think about how significant speech is to your daily life. Think about how many people, how much of your life is primarily engaged through your words. Men and women, we have no greater tool for good or for ill than the words that we use. And so Paul says, in light of its power, our speech should always be gracious. You know, my wife, Melissa, she has a, a question she often asks the kids. Uh, she often does it when I'm in hearing distance, though, coincidentally. She asks this, are you using your words to build people up or to tear people down? Did you know? Every syllabus you utter is a chance to build people up or to tear people down. So let's use it to build, up, build people up. And Paul, to, to illustrate this, he uses a common metaphor for gracious speech. He says, season with salt. Now, y'all, the Bible loves to use salt as a metaphor. And you can understand why. Because everyone, everywhere gets it. Everyone understands it. All people since the dawn of time, have used salt to give food flavor. Salt has been essential for flavor as far back as we can remember. And so Paul is saying, listen, when we season our speech with graciousness, our words are delicious to people. Look around our world today. The culture where, where God has placed us. I would say the one thing our world seems to be universally worst at is speaking graciously towards outsiders. Christians and non-Christians alike. 
The norm in our world is to speak in anger, in frustration, in fear, in hate towards the outsiders, whoever we consider those outsiders to be. And that's if we speak to them at all. Actually, many of us, we, we go to great lengths to separate from them. Hey, just, just move, just change schools, change churches, change jobs. Let's get away from the outsiders. Let's find the people, the insiders, the people like us and build our utopia, you know. And then, then we can get online and talk about the outsiders, right? But I would argue the greater the darkness, the brighter the light shines. Or you could say it this way, the, the more bland the food, the more the salt is going to stand out which means you and I, men and women, we live in an age of opportunity. Our world is starved for grace. I would say we live in a grace desert, which means we can be an oasis. We can be an oasis of grace. I'm telling you, men and women, if we will season our speech with the salt of grace, I think we will find more people than we can count coming to dine at our table. And I believe with all of my heart that this is one of the main ways that we as a church can bless this community. Listen, people can come to Bethel and they can think the sermon was boring. That's fine. That's no problem. They can think, you know what? That music wasn't my preference. That's, that's okay. Our, maybe we don't have the programs that they're used to. That is cool. But if they will come, outsider though they may be, and will experience words of grace, I'm telling you, we will see lives changed. You and I have the power with our words to show people the grace that will lead them to Jesus Christ. The grace that will heal their wounds. The grace that will soften their hearts. The grace that will save their souls. And so may each and every outsider, whoever you consider that outsider to be, May they encounter grace when they encounter us. Because this is how we live in this world with Jesus as our everything. Persistent prayer, wise walk, salty speech. You know, and it, it strikes me, hey, in just a moment, we're, we're going to walk out these doors into the week that's ahead. But it strikes me that there will hardly be any moment of any day of this upcoming week where we won't be doing one of those three things. Or we can't be doing all three of those things. But first I want us to remember, remember something. I want us to remember that hey, things like prayer, things like wisdom, things like grace, they only come as a gift. They only come as an overflow from people who have believed that Jesus is everything. Men and women, we can only repeat out there what we have received from him. And so I know it's many people view Jesus as kind of this moral teacher, this advice giver. And, and then we see our job is listening to the good advice and, and then changing our behavior with our willpower. But I would remind us this morning, men and women, that the gospel is not good advice. It is good news. It is the good news that Jesus is everything. And he did not come for you to change your behavior. He came so he could change your heart. He came to give you the most powerful force in the universe, grace. That's what you have to experience first, is his grace. For those of us who have experienced his, his grace and we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, and here we go out those doors to live our daily lives as, as strangers and aliens in, the for, in a foreign land, 
It's what the Bible calls us. I would ask you as you go out about your daily life, think about who are your outsiders? Like who's your opposite? Could be your moral opposite, your political opposite, your cultural opposite, your economic opposite. Ask God this week, how can I walk wisely towards that person? Specifically towards them. You know, maybe God is showing you this morning some ways that you've walked unwisely. You've been making unwise investments with your daily life. What is he leading you to do differently? Maybe God's showing you this morning a way that you need to speak differently. Maybe there's someone that you need to, to show grace to with your words. I know one thing for certain. I know, I'm certain all of us can pray more persistently. So I have a prayer. I have a prayer that I want all of us to pray together this week in the days ahead. And, and listen, if you, some of you are faithful prayers, you don't need me to encourage you to pray. You need to encourage me to pray. So if you're already a faithful prayer, great. Keep doing what you're doing. Just, just tack this on. Just add this to it. If, you're, if you struggle to pray regularly, persistently, then use this. Start here. I'm asking all of us to do this in the week ahead twice a day. Now, camp I worked out, we had a saying, before your feet hit the ground and before your head hits the pillow. Okay, it's just a way of saying, first thing, last thing in the day. So before your feet hit the ground to start the day, before your head hits the pillow to end, this, to end the day, I'm asking us all to pray this prayer. It's simple. Father, thank you. Help me live wisely and speak graciously today. Now, no, it's very short and simple. You're like, wow, Clint, you went to seminary to put that together. Wow. I know. I know it's short. Hey, you can expound on that. You can meditate on that. You can add to it all you want to. And, and please do. I hope, hope you will. But it's short for a reason. My challenge for you is to be watchful. Be watchful in your prayer. It's short so you can give it your full attention no distractions, all of your focus. You will never be so busy that you can't focus on that prayer. I tell you what, Tom, can we keep the prayer up there? You'll never be so busy. You can't give your full attention to that prayer right there. And it's simple so that we can be devoted. Listen, I'm asking for twice a day, but you can do it more. You may need to say this prayer before you step into that meeting before you interact with that outsider, before you go to discipline your kids, before you react to something. At any given day, point in your day, you can pause and you can pray that prayer. Father, thank you. Help me to live wisely. Help me to speak graciously right now in this moment. Kids, children, hey, y'all been doing great in the service. We're almost done, I promise. Like one more minute. But I want you to look up here. Kids, I want you guys to pray this prayer this week. I know, I know grown-ups talk all about prayer a lot, but it's hard to know what to say and when to do and how to do it. You can pray this prayer. And if you forget the words, you can just ask your parents. They'll tell you. But before your feet hit the ground, or maybe when they hit the ground, you think, pray this prayer. When you lay down at night, when your head hits the pillow, pray this prayer. So let us, church, pray persistently. Let us walk wisely. Let us speak graciously. And I'm eager as we do to see how God answers our prayers and transforms our heart and our community as we do this. Will you pray with me? Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. 
Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.